Accelerating Careers in Real Estate with Nick Carman. Brought to you by McDonald and Company. Welcome back to the Accelerating Careers in Real Estate podcast. I'm your host, Nick Carman. And this evening, I've got a brand new episode for you that's taken on board our audience's feedback. You've asked you want to maintain the interest in development and investment, but that you wanted to hear from more people who are behind the money. So this evening, I'm sat with Paul Lloyd, who's the chief exec of Mount Street Group. Now, Paul has a career spanning 30 years in servicing of European debt products. And wind the clock back to 1997, Paul launched Morgan Stanley's Mortgage Servicing, then Europe's first CMBS servicer. During the years that passed, he ran similar departments for Deutsche Bank and for CBRE. And in 2013, together with Ravi Joseph, Paul founded Mount Street and has been global head of financial and business servicing since the inception, prior to becoming the chief exec. Now, Paul, given that introduction, I'm really looking forward to jumping in. So let's get going. Where does chapter one begin for you? Hi, Nick. Thanks for having me on. So chapter one for me began back um, after school. I went to a normal grammar school in London, passed all my exams and went on to Middlesex Polytechnic, where I was encouraged to study electrical electronic engineering because the careers officer at school decided that that's the best thing I should do because my cousin did that and for my better judgment you know I went that way and decided you know okay let's go along so after the course parents were massively pleased that I was off to, to university to get a degree and found very early on in that stage of my life that when I started on the first week of the course that I was the youngest person on that course and everybody else on that course had had a sandwich course experience. I'd been um, you know, working and sponsored with Marconi, Cable and Wireless. I was clearly behind everybody in the early part of that course. So the way that I've been brought up, my dad has always been a mentor to me. I took some advice from my, my dad and, and my mum and they just said, Look, you, know, you need to speak to your year head and, and see if they can give you some, some guidance and some help. So I spoke to the, the year head and said, look, I'm clearly behind. I have no idea why you've accepted me on this course. And I said, but I am prepared to work hard, to get up to speed with everybody else. Bearing in mind, I only had one BBC computer at school, but they were literally asking you within the first couple of weeks to design computer programs that, that, that do X or build circuit boards that do Y. And I'd never even dealt with a circuit board other than basically on a, on a radio set that my dad and mum bought me for Christmas one year. So for me, this was like a point proving exercise that I could get up to speed as wherever else was at that stage unfortunately the, the year head turned around to me and said well we're not prepared to help you it's your problem not mine which I was very shocked at to be honest with you but I never give up that's one thing I've always learned and I've always been taught by a lot of close people around me you know parents included that never give up if you've got a dream drive for it and do whatever you can to get to that stage in your life so I did stuck it out got on and studied hard in my spare time. And then within the six, end of six months, there was a test. I sat the test and I passed the test with flying colors. But not just to be an ignorant kid at that age, I decided and, and uh, spoke to my, my parents at the time that it wasn't for me. And I said to the year head, so look, I've proven to you I could have done this with your help as well. I could be better than everybody else in this course. But you you didn't give me the tools. You didn't give me the the ability to prove to you that I was worth the investment but I've proven to you myself doing it on my own that I was worth it every single 
percent of the investment that I did in myself into what I got and achieved. And now I'm going to leave. It's not for me, not interested in this course. And I do not want to work in an institution that doesn't believe in my ability. My mum and dad were mortified, even though they were, they didn't think I'd go through with it, but um, I did leave and um, I was living in central London at the time. And I went and took a job initially at Marks and Spencer's food hall in Marble Arch and uh, ended up after about nine to 10 months there, them asking me if I wanted to go on to the Marks and Spencer's management training program, which at the time was supposed to be one of the most revered, revered, sorry, training programs. And again, I looked at it, I thought, well, it's not for me, retail's not for me. And a typical thing that sitting down one day with my dad having dinner at home with my mum and dad and, and, and said to them, look, what do I do? Where do I go? Any ideas and directions? Um, and being a very typical thing for a dad to say, my dad turned around and said, hey, son, your best thing at school was maths. You got the best results of maths and you're very science orientated. Why don't you go and work for a bank? And I just simply said to my dad, dad, but the things I've learned in maths, such as how big is the shadow of that person standing behind this tree? And how's that going to help me in maths? <laughs> Uh, and, and then banking, you know, going to you know, deal with banking and lending people money. Like, what's the point? Am I going to start using you know, tangents, cosines, and, and that kind of stuff? Dad said, look, son, just believe me. I think you should go and work for a bank. And they pay a lot of money. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. The, the, root, the root of dad's, dad's good advice. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, I think he was preparing for his future uh, retirement and uh, <laughs> wanted to, to do something which uh, probably he's never done before. But, um, but yeah, listen to my dad. My dad was a printer. Uh, mum was a was a caretaker, you know, and dad said, look, so, so I, I print the banker's almanac, list of all the banks in the world, I'll help you, you know, write letters to send to some of the best banks in the, the city of London. And we can send them letters and, you know, later, you know, instead of cold calling on the phone, send them a letter with your CV, let's see what happens. So we did that, we sent about 30 letters, got about uh, 17 responses, of which most of them were, thanks very much for your letter, we'll put it on file if anything comes up. And there were three interviews I had. One of them was KitKat Aiken, who were a stockbroker in the stock exchange at the time. One of them uh, I can still never remember till today. And then the third one uh, was Hill Samuel Merchant Bank, which was the most uh, prestigious merchant bank in the city, along with Rothschild's close brother, Strodus, etc. And went for the interviews and I got the Hill Samuel uh, job, which um, again, to my, my dad's delight was, you know, I provide printing for that company and it's like a great company to work for. There was a connection there for my dad as well. And, you know, starting at that, that part of my career at the age of, I think, 18 and a half at the time, nearly 19, it was still a rabbit in the headlights. What have I, what have I let myself in for? Is this really what I want to do? But I decided that because I committed myself to prove a point at university that I needed to do something and prove a point here and actually stick to something and make it a success and Hill Sammy's for me was the starting point of that and it was a day in those days you got to do everything I learned letters of credit export credits derivatives local authority um, the derivatives that went pear-shaped um, down the line I did project finance commercial real estate aviation that no, the list goes on you know, bills of exchange and I think those days are gone nowadays. I don't think you get to experience the, the complete expanse of what the banking world is made up of. I think nowadays you do go in somewhere and you specialize in real estate. You specialize in 
CMBS, you specialise in securization. But in those days, you got to look at everything. It's a bit like being, I suppose, a, a lawyer graduate who then gets to do three months and six months in different departments and goes around and then decides on which area they, they really like to be focused on and specialising. But in those days, it was a case of, you know, in a way, the phrase, I suppose, jack of all trades, master of nothing. But I suppose I've moved that into jack of all trades, understand a lot of things. And eventually got through the whole um, career at Hill Samuel. By my last year, I was asked if I'd rewrite the entire procedures for the bank that included FX, money markets, compliance, treasury, operations. It was probably the most boring thing I've ever done in my life. <laughs> but it was the most educational because I sat with the experts from every single department. I learned about how they interacted with different parts of the firm, what their roles were, how can they improve things. So I got to rewrite all of those procedures, but learned a lot for doing it. And that for me was a real eye opener for me. It was, I made some great friends there, friends that I still have today. And that for me was like the real learning curve for me was these are going to be people who are friends for life. The, the mentors that were there, there was a gentleman you know, who was the head of that team, Mike Collison, you know, he saw um, you know, the, 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 what I brought to the table. You know, not only did, was I keen to learn, I was committed. I was there ready to do more stuff, and ha- but I was always keen to progress. How do I get to the next level? I didn't want to just sit there and twiddle my thumbs. I wanted to be told, how can I progress? So that for me was important. I think it's important for people to hear is don't just sit there. If you want to progress, talk to people talk to your manager, talk to your supervisors and understand, you know, where is the progression? Is there progression? You know, are you in the right place that wants to look after you? So that for me has always been something which I've looked back at and th- think whether I've A, been lucky or B, have been mentored, taught, educated by the right people, but also I've had to have the, 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 the gall and the guts to actually speak up. Just sitting there like a wallflower sometimes doesn't help anybody. And I think for me, it's been important to actually stand up, put my, put my hand up, because I've always felt as though, am I always behind the curve here because I haven't got that degree? But I've always thought, I'm always going to have to work twice as hard to prove a point, to make sure that people understand that, that irrespective of what your background is and what your um, qualifications are, you can do everything. And just because a piece of paper says that you've got X and Y, doesn't mean someone who hasn't got that can't do the same thing. So I think it's it's that's taught me something very early on that, you can get into these, these, these institutions. You can prove that you are good as anybody else and never give up. You know, so I never gave up. And that, that's when, you know, my, I suppose the next chapter of my story was, was moving into the, the big institutions. Um, I remember being off sick one day at home, feeling sorry for myself and having man flu. And um, the phone rang. And the phone rang and I said, hey, how, who's this? And this was a recruiter. And I said, you know, well, I've not got my CV out with anybody. Oh, no, no, you know, about two or three years ago, we had your CV and a job's come up now um, at a company called Morgan Stanley. And I said, never heard of them. Morgan who? Oh, they're a big investment bank. What's an investment bank? So there's this me, this this, this um, very naive kid, albeit been in banking for six years, um, has now getting opportunities to go into the, the, the big, the bigger institutions of a global um, financial institution. And to get a call from a recruiter that, that surprised me. And I just said, okay, can I just ask you the question, if this is a big financial institution, I know a lot bigger than where I'm working at the moment, why do they want someone like me? Because I'm an unknown, unqualified, 
person in an institution that is probably the place I'm going to stay at for the next 35 years because that's where most people stayed. They were all long-termers. And they just said, look, speaking to them about this, we know your background, your, your experience is all about understanding documentation, you under, you're not your product agnostic, and you, know, you, you understand all the legalities around all the structuring of these transactions. And this is exactly what these guys want. And I said, but what are the qualifications needed? He said, well, you need a degree, a banking exam, and or an accountancy exam. And I said, well, I've got none of the above. So I said, I don't want to waste their time or my time. Said, Listen to us. We believe this is an opportunity for you to, to go into an institution like Morgan Stanley. So I went on their better judgment. I went along for an interview, got on like a house on fire with a gentleman called David Simpson, who actually is, I think he now lives in Australia. He and I got on speaking about football clubs. He was a Barnet supporter and I was a Chelsea supporter. And there's a lot of you know, commonalities of, you know, in our, in our lives. And he got me back to do a second interview with a gentleman who was a, one of the heads of the trading floor, um, who I was told would never have more than probably 15 minutes um, of time for me in the morning, pre-working uh, hours. So I agreed an 8.30 call, uh, so an 8.30 meeting in the morning with this gentleman called Ina Hafstadt, who was a half American, half Hungarian. And again, you know, I remember the gentleman's name because again, amazing guy, amazing history, his heritage was amazing, and you know I saw a lot of connectivity between what I was trying to achieve in life and what he had achieved. And I went to see him at eight thirty in the morning, and I came out an hour and a half later, bearing in mind that the recruitment company said you would never be in there for more than fifteen minutes. This guy's never had an interview for more than fifteen minutes. So when I came out, I had all these missed calls from the recruiter. What's going? What's going on? You haven't haven't spoken to us. You know, do we do we start? Um, you know, just looking for another opportunity for you. I phoned them up and said, Don't oh, no, no, I was in the guy with the half hour and a half. They said, oh, You've got the job. You've definitely got the job. We've never heard it. It's unprecedented. So, you know, I thought, you know, great, let's see what happens. And then it dragged out. Three weeks went past and eventually got the call, got the job. And to me, that was great. It was like in an institution I'd never heard of who was massive. I looked them up. I looked into, you know, the, the business as a whole, their global footprint. And I thought, you know what? This is this is now, this is the place for me. I was 30 years old. And you know, I started on that on a, my first salary at Morgan Stanley. It was thirty thousand a year, and that was a goal for me. I set a goal in my life saying I always wanted to be take my age times a thousand pounds was always going to be as long as I'm on that salary, I'm fine. And um, you know, it's just a weird goal I set as a kid, and I thought tick, I've ticked that box, and moved on from there, and was asked to move. Um, I was in the French equities uh, business after starting in the, um, the as a trading assistant in the distressed trading team where we're buying lawsuits and you know buying euro tunnel resets etc cetera, etc cetera. but it, again another learning curve it was great to be with a team and i learned a lot from them and eventually was asked to move over to the fixed income team from equities to set up what became morgan stanley mortgage servicing and that was the first cmbs servicer um, in europe uh, ravi joseph did the very first securization for cmbs in europe and, you know, we, we were teaching the rating agencies, issuers about how to do the role. And again, wrote the, the procedures and the processes that are, I think are prevalent in a lot of different um, competitors today, where I've, I've, I've led those business or set them up. And for me, it was really bringing in some real skill, skilled people and giving people a chance that I had that chance and looking at different ways of getting people in that wasn't always who's the best 
qualification at Oxford or Cambridge or Reading or wherever it is, let's find the right people for the job because it's a relationship business. I was at Morgan Stanley for, for seven years, had an amazing time, and I've never not had a happy time in any institution I've, I've worked in. And I think for me, the driver was learning something new. How can I make it better? And at Morgan Stanley, I think that was the, the mentality that we were given. I was able to, to implement a million pound system um, and technology at, at Morgan Stanley, something I'd never even envisaged and dreamed of. And you know, in, in, integrated a system for, for our business to help us grow further. We had 10 billion under management at the time. And then I got a call um, out of the blue from uh, Deutsche Bank. Deutsche were looking at setting up a rival business for um, CMBS. And uh, John Nakos, it was a, the gentleman, and, and um, Morgan Garfield, both the gentlemen interviewed me and said, Look, I want you to set up a rival business to Morgan Stanley. We will be number one, and we want to be number one. And for me, that, that, that's what clinched it, really. For John Nakos, who was head of Europe for real estate at the time, said to me, I want to be number one and beat basically Ravi Joseph, and who, who was my um, mentor at Morgan Stanley and who was my partner out Mount Street. It was important for me to hear somebody say, I want to be better than what you did before. And you're the guy to come across with me and make it better. And I will be number one in the market in a couple of years' time. And that was definitely the clincher for me to have somebody who has the, the gall, the balls, to actually try and say, I'm ready here, waiting, blank sheet of paper, come on, Paul, let's go and set this up and, and make it a better business than you had before. Out of interest, Paul, at this stage now, now you've, you've worked, okay, Hill Samuel, Morgan Stanley, you've got, you've got the job at, uh, at Deutsche. What I wanted to ask is, have you have you let go of that chip of what, what gave you that fuel at the very start about not having the degree, or do you think do you think that's still with you? No, I haven't. Because I, I don't even think about it, I'm, and I'm actually really proud. To, if people ask me, you know, what, where did you go to university? I, I didn't go to university, and I'm not. It's not something I hide. It's it's very humbling for me to know that. I can get on, I can drive things. I don't have to say to somebody, do you know, I've got where I am today because I've got no degree. But you've got a degree and you're, you, know, you are where you are. For me, I, it's irrelevant. It's, it, I think I'm at a stage in my life, and I, it probably was even when I was at Morgan Stanley, I've now got over the need at that stage to not need that degree and not need, because I've proven that I don't need the degree to get on a onto the next job. And obviously, I'd moved then from Morgan Stanley to Deutsche. Yeah. So, so I think it was the early stages was a case of I need to really push to drive ahead and get ahead of other people because in my early stages, it's going to be a make or break. If I don't progress today and to get where I want to and have a vision of where I want to be, then if I don't, if I, if I always have a chip on my shoulder, people are going to know that I've got a chip on my shoulder. And it's a case of like, seriously, Paul, get over it. And it was left back in the day when I'd moved from the banking, and, and, and I probably even lost it at, at uh, Hill Samuel. When I was asked to say, rewrite those procedures, it's like, wow, people are asking me to do things that I'd never dream of before. They're, help, they're giving me a steer to help me progress in my future career. So somebody's helping me along the line, and it's all the people around me, people at the same level, my peers, the seniority, even people that um, you know, I've ended up by at Hill Samuel um, supervising a team after three years of being there. People were always supportive. They became friends. They became mentors, and it was people that have always been around in my career. And so, yes, I think it's it's become irrelevant. And but I think it's important for people to know that 
you can do it. You don't need a tick, a tick box to do to achieve things in life, but you do need people to help you to aspire to help you to lead you in a direction. Because I can't don't think you can do it on your own. And then the, the next question is, um, going back to the Morgan Stanley days. Yep. What do you think you most gleaned from that time in your career? I think for me, it was the real sense of the big world out there. Now, I just I was in an isolation in a very small merchant bank, Hill Samuel. It wasn't very very small, but it was a very bespoke solution and the finance institution. Then you're opened up to something like Morgan Stanley, where you know they sent me over to New York to go and sit with the people in the US to understand more of a global business and a, what a global, real global brand was. And for me, it was the real insight into what is what is Morgan Stanley. What is there that I, you know, is what I'm doing today the thing I want to do tomorrow, the next year? Mm-hmm. Is this giving me an opportunity to diversify into, you know, sending the tentacles out into trying different things out? And and I think this was, and this was exactly the, the example. I started off in French equities and myself uh, and, a, and a, a colleague at the time, we improved the settlement rates of Morgan Stanley's French equities business from... 70 plus percent to 90 i think 98 99 percent and that was unheard of in the market so myself and a gentleman called robin cunningham who's now at one of the the, the big four i think um no he he and i created a pathway to success by showing those institutions that because you've always done it this way it doesn't mean it's the best way to do it we came up with solutions and ideas that managed them to get from the 70 percent success rate to 99 percent success rate and that's when I suppose I got the visibility internally that the fixed income team, that Ravi Joseph, Lynn Gilbert at the time as well, they said, right, we need somebody, and that's the guy in that team. And they brought me over. So there was the flexibility to move from one part of the firm to the other to learn different things. And I think that's what I learned the most out of an institution like Morgan Stanley was the, the ability to transfer your skills around the firm and be able to be a success and help people succeed as well i mean that eloc program the securization program we did at the cmbs what we set up was a success because of everybody that was part of it not one or two people it was the entire team and i think the team morale the camaraderie the friendships is what i've learned out of all of that and that, that and that again stemmed into deutsche but exactly the same mentality and you know some of my best friends today are ex Morgan Stanley and Deutsche Bank, and they've all been relationship businesses. And I've always been brought up that the relationships are key, and you've got to talk to people. It doesn't mean you're always going to get a fee out of something. It means that if you build those relationships, people are always going to be around. They know you're there. If they need your help on something, they'll knock on the door and they'll pick the phone up and they'll phone you. So it, people, I think, need to think bigger than just is this going to generate me a fee. Am I going to look in f- great in front of my bosses by bringing this in? I'm working on things at the moment I've been working on for five and a half years that are only just coming to fruition. But that's because you build relationships. If it happens, it happens. It doesn't, it doesn't. But it's not the reason not to do it and build a relationship. And I, and I find it quite funny now when I, um, I say to my wife, you know, I'm going out you know, tomorrow night. And she says, oh, who are you going out with? Oh, my clients. Oh, you mean your friends? Because my clients are my friends, and it's um, just a way that I think you know it's 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 transpired over the years that you get really close to the people you work with, both as 
friends, peers, employees, and also your clients. So let's get let's get back to the the story. I interrupted, and you you were you were introducing sort of a, a Deutsche at the time, weren't you? Yeah. So, so Deutsche was was you know, for me was again is a reinventing the wheel, blank sheet of paper. Um, again, no systems, learning from experience. How can we make it better than the Morgan Stanley model? Mm-hmm. And was it friendly competition out of interest? Um, yes, it was. It was it was friendly. Um, un, you know, friendly enough that I I took a couple of um, you know colleagues across to uh, Deutsche with me um not immediately because I you know I'd, because they were so much so great friends at Morgan Stanley I'm not gonna say right I'm taking a team mm-hmm. and then you leave them in the lurch now did it over a period of time and rivalry I've always found is really important in my life and I think you know it makes you better as a person um if someone does something that's different to you is it the better way to do it you know, should we change things I've always learned to be a step ahead of people and make it you know, I always want to be the leader and not be led by other people because mm-hmm. it would annoy me to know that why does someone think of that first and not me? And and I try and build that and instill that mentality around me and around all the people within my teams. And you know, Deutsche Bank was that prime example that, that this is what I did before, rewrote some procedures, made them better, built built our own systems internally, and and did a really good job of encouraging an entrepreneurial background. And and that I think has given the skill set of the team that was at Deutsche with me to go and progress their careers as well, because if you know give people enough um, sort of rope, let them get on with it, let them find their own path, but lead them and mentor them. And I think a lot of people just say you know get on with it, yeah, this is your job, and have no interest, yeah, you'll progress. There's a end of year appraisal. I think people need to have sit downs they need to have you know one-to-ones with their managers understand where their next direction is and where they're going to drive to for their next you know, step in their career and unless they get direction you get a lot of people just setting their ways stuck in the mud stuck in the ruts that they're in without that direction and i think there is a lot of that that goes on but again deutsche like morgan stanley they're, they're very keen on your progression now, how do you get from being the guy setting up that servicing and asset management business at, at uh, Deutsche to where do I go within in Deutsche and I think that's what in my in my last and I suppose part of the Deutsche um, story is I was there for five years and year four and I was thinking okay GFC uh, 2008 what happens if Deutsche Bank stopped lending in the commercial real estate market where's my job other than winding that down I have no job I did approach Deutsche and say to them, no, any chance and thought that you would ever outsource this, do a, allow me to do a management buyout of the business, set it aside, and then we can go and get third-party business. But the view was, no, don't do that, not what we do. So I thought, okay. So my my reassessment of life and my, my look at the future. It sounds like a bit of a red flag here, Paul, someone, someone saying no. Yeah, it is, it's well, it's more it's more of a, I want to still be in control of my own destiny. I love working in these institutions. I love Deutsche Bank. Again, some, I'm still in touch with John Nakos today and all of the senior people that are there. There's some guys who are now head of um, Europe for, for Oak Tree and people like that. So, so for me, it was a case of less of a red flag, but how do I control my career again? Because I don't know what's going to happen because of the fallout of GFC, Lehman going bust, etc. So... I got a call, again, out of the blue, 
from a friend who was a client of mine at, De at Deutsche Bank, sorry. And he said, look, would you come over and run Seabury's servicing and asset management business in Europe? And I thought, okay, well, Seabury, massive or biggest surveyor in the world. Is it the right place for me? And I thought, you know what? That is my opportunity to prove that I can generate my own business. They're third party. They're not an in-house captive. They don't lend at the time. I didn't lend in the, the debt space. So I said, yep, yeah, I'm going to be selfish. And I think that's where I need to go. Let me see if I can go and generate my own business and grow a business rather than be dependent on others. So left Deutsche, um, again, left a lot of friends, again, very close friends today and clients that have actually moved their business from Morgan Stanley to Deutsche, went to CBRE. They then moved it to CBRE. I think, okay, right, great. I'm starting to, so the relationships are very important to me and my friendships. And they're great, but you still got to deliver on the end products. I think that's the important thing. It's, it's, it's great having a friend you can go for a drink with and having dinner with, but if you can't deliver on the end result and the product that the client gets, whether you're communicative, you, you've got a solution, you can work something out with them and help them deliver a better result to their clients. If you can do all that as a rounded package, then I think it's a road to success. And that's what I've always prepped, been sort of priding myself on and my teams throughout those stages is the delivery best-in-class service. And Seabury was that point for me was like, let's try and generate. And I grew that business from 4 billion to 12 billion pounds, I think it was under, under management, and realized that I need to do this on my own now. I need to set up my own business. And then that's when uh, Ravi, Joseph, and I, you know, back from the Morgan Stanley days, Ravi and I had always caught up with each other and, you know, how, how was family, how was life, you know, just go for a beer, let's go for dinner. We just just chewing a cud one night and decided that, you know, that I said to Ravi, you've done well in, in your, your, your career. You know, you're head of, um, you know, structured products, real estate finance uh, at Morgan Stanley. You went on to be a partner at Goldman Sachs. Can you lend me some money or can you go and find me some money to set up my own business? And, you know, I think four, four beers each into that conversation, Ravi said, 100%, right, leave it there with me. Would you, be, would you mind if I was part of that? I said, Ravi, I don't really care. I'm now at the stage where I've, I've got an idea. I want to set it up and I want to go and do this. And it's been in the, in it, it's been in the offing for, for years, but now I've proven I can generate my own business. I want to do this and it's the right time. So Ravi and I banged our heads together he and I were flown over to the States about three weeks later and found our seed uh, equity. And, and that was a company called Greenfield. And Greenfield was the backer of a company called Clayton. And Clayton actually were the guys who actually bought into the 51% um, of, of Mount Street. And the guy behind Greenfield was a gentleman called Gene Gorab. And Gene Gorab was one of the original founders of Starwood, along with Barry Sternick and the other partners. So and that for us was like, great, this, this, these guys want to invest in us. And, you know, the rest is history for the setup and establishment of Mount Street. But Mount Street for me was the pivotal time in my career where because of the GFC, there's a lot of negativity in the real estate world from the services that were the asset managers that were in the market. And they, I mean, they know who they are and I'm not going to name names because we don't No, I don't do that in, in my life of naming and shaming because I don't think that's how you, you know, progress your career or your view of people in the market. But some of our competitors at the time were taking backhanders from you know, parties. They were double dipping on fees. They were taking them from lenders and sponsors. They weren't being transparent about what they were doing. And to me that 
what that did, and I heard this from a lot of bondholders in the market and from a lot of lenders, that there was a lot of distrust from what I always saw and what I always did as value add. That was being drawn out of the role that what is the point of a service or an asset manager in these roles if they're doing these things? It's underhanded. It's not transparent. Why do we use them? So the view of me setting up Mount Street was to bring that belief and trust back into the, the view of the lenders market and also the alternative lenders, the bondholders, and bring a belief that what I do and what my team does and what the newer entry and the entrance to the market do is actually value add. And and I think where we've grown from on you know, the March in 2013 of day of opening to where we are today of you know, 10 years of, of history, um, you know, 230 people employed by Mount Street, 135, 140 billion under management, diversified away, not just from commercial real estate. We've saw the opportunity in the, the rest of the market, whether it be aviation, shipping, back to the things that I learned back in the day at Hill Samuel. Again, bringing that skill set to what I do today and always learning. And I think never let the, you know, those, those gray brain cells just, just deteriorate in your mind. You know, I'm, I'm always a believer of you know, hiring people that challenge me, hiring people that challenge other people within the, the institution, bringing another skill set in where people can learn. And I think to keep the learning, keep the education is always a good thing. Because I think without that, you do get bored. And that's why I think, you know, I can safely say I've never been bored in any of the things I've done in my life. I've loved Hill Samuel through to Morgan Stanley, through to Deutsche Bank, through to CBRE, and then setting up my own business with Ravi, for me, has given an opportunity to a lot of really clever people to run their own teams, to nurture people, to mentor people, for me to see them progress and to see them grow from people who used to be competitors of mine who I've now brought into to, to Mount Street, to see them really engage and see that they now have a career where I've mentored them, where Ravi's mentored them, and see people having now created the opportunity for, you know, when I decide to step back and retire, they have something to fall back on and, and succeed and done really well themselves. Right. Um, but in, Paul, you're telling, you're telling a really, really good story. But there's, there's something there that you've you've mentioned a few times about this always learning and it's obviously a real fuel for you but you're you're building a business now this isn't just about building your career you're 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 building a business and this is really sort of affecting other people's careers so I asked a few of those those guys to help me in terms of prepare for the interview and I asked them to tell me a little bit about about sort of the characteristics as as Paul as a manager and this is what one of them said I'd be interested to know your take on this yep. Paul gives people the space and to allow them to work and make decisions. He may sometimes disagree with a decision, but not in a way that comes across as though he's unhappy or he's disappointed or he knows better. He recognises people learn by making mistakes and he allows them the space to learn and move forward. Yeah. And, I th- and I think that sums up what you said about always learning. It's obviously real fuel for you, isn't it? But you've, you've, you've somehow you create this space that it's all right to make mistakes because it's better they make mistakes and learn from it than not at all. Yeah, 100%. And I think we all learn by making mistakes. I think that's the only real way to make to make an improvement in what we do. Um, you know, we're, all, we're all creatures of habit where we sit there and we're told, 
and we also we ask the question why do we do it this way and then we tell because that's the way we've always done it so i think encouraging people to no you give again as i said I said earlier on now you give people enough rope right but you don't allow them to hang themselves but you guide them you say okay right now you go away think about how we can win this mandate or think about how we can do this better come back to me no idea is a bad idea or wrong idea it's a starting point to have a maybe a better conversation that we can say your input has enabled us to actually make this process better without that first initial thought we wouldn't even have this conversation but giving people the space the integrity to believe that they're a trusted resource within a company um, and in and in a team and I make sure that all the senior managers in Mount Street have that same mentality because we do drive that entrepreneurial spirit. And I think then you give the recognition to people. And I just, the number of times I get emails from clients, from senior managers saying, FYI, look at what X, Y, or Z has done. It's amazing. This is a feedback we've had from our clients. So I'll immediately send an email to those individual people and say, look, you know, you're doing an amazing job. It doesn't go unrecognized. Keep up the good work. You know, keep up those ideas and those thought processes because that's what makes us the company we are today. And I think if you don't allow people the, the space, you don't allow people to have input into what we do, then they just become a soldier. We want them to be a contributor to the success of their own business. And you know, I think they then, and it gives them direction into the, what they do, direction into their future career, and direction into having a thought of what they actually can achieve and not what they're told that they will achieve. So, Port, as a time check now, you know, Mount Street celebrated its 10th anniversary since it earlier early this year. So what does Mount Street look like today? So I would say Mount Street is completely different to how it was 10 years ago. Obviously, we set it up as a commercial real estate service for an asset manager. But I think the one thing, and I think that the common theme here is, is always looking at how to be different, how to be better, how can we get into parts of the of the the world that we're not in today, where there is an ability to you know, to provide our best in class service? And there's been a, some monumental transactions we've done along the way at Mount Street that has again differentiated ourselves and brought some real key skilled people within to Mount Street. And one of them was obviously the pivotal time for me. I think was in March 2014, Ravi and I bought. The Morgan Stanley mortgage servicing business I set up back in 1997-98 and we brought a team of 15 people in a book of business and that to me was just like wow I've bought the business from the massive institution that I worked for that I'd never heard of before and I now we now own it and for us and for me particularly was wow I set that team up and we've now brought it into our Mount Street business and, the, and I think for us that was great in, in two steps. Was number one was it gave us quality and quantity of business. And number two, it got the people and the competitors in the market to sit up and realize, wow, these guys are serious. They're not here for five minutes. They're going to be here for long term and we should take them seriously. And then what we then did probably a few years later now, and it was in October 17, we had really, and that's when we completed another transaction, but probably the year or so before that, I, Ravi and I have been sitting down deciding, you know, how do we really differentiate ourselves? Because we'd obviously predominantly been a CRE um, service for an asset manager. And that was predominantly the, I never thought we'd ever diversify away from that. But I sat down with Ravi 
um, in, in, in probably 2016 and said, look, something's landed on my desk. It's not CRE. This is a bad bank that was looking to sell their portfolio advisory business. It was the, the bad bank of West LB called EAA. And there was a team of 70 people and a book of about 23 billion euros of business to service and wind down from the bad bank. And we went in this process full, full up with the competition was private equity and there was us. And we saw an opportunity to bring a really clever team on board that we could utilize and expand into other products, not CRE, aviation, shipping, mining, renewables, infrastructure, et cetera. And we were so different to all the other parties in this process who were the private equity because we saw the upside of growing that team. The private equity just wanted access to the product and the underlying assets to buy them away from the bad bank. And that was the real thing that was different again for us. We were the differentiator. We brought something different to the table. And that was a real thing that resonated with the team from EAA Portfolio Advisors that is now Mount Street Portfolio Advisors. And we've now grown that team into that business has now, has now wound down and has gone. But we still have a very large amount of that original 70 still with us today who've been deployed elsewhere within the firm. And we're now winning a lot of business because of them. And that, for me, along with the Morgan Stanley business, has been really pivotal in the success of Mount Street. And what we're doing is now building the fundamental blocks that we've put in place now for building the future careers of the Mount Street team and for what Mount Street is all about. I mean, CRE will still be a big chunk of our business. It's, it's still a real core part of our business. It will, it will be. I think it's 80, we've got 89 billion that we manage today. Um, that will grow to 120, 140, but it will be a, a, a smaller diluted part of the business because everything else will get bigger as well. And it will always be at the center of our DNA. But what we've done now is shown people, because a lot of our clients aren't just commercial real estate. They are commercial real estate. They are shipping, they're aviation, they're corporates. They are you know, structured and restructurers. Um, so for us, it's, it's trying to be the partner for every one of our clients and making sure that we are the per person they go to, irrespective of the product. And whether it's performing, non-performing, whatever jurisdiction it is, because obviously we're global, we're in, you know, in, in America, we're in Australia, we're all over Europe as well. We're global for a lot of our clients. But it's making sure that we continue to globalize everything we do we gave some people opportunities to move from their homeland to go and set up an office somewhere else. Now we've got a gentleman that we moved from the Dublin office who now runs our Sydney office. It's giving people opportunities to do things they never would have dreamt to before. And, you know, realizing the, the skills that they have that they bring to the table. And I think that's the one thing for the future of Mount Street is always looking to see how we can progress people's careers. Not, we, you know, we don't sit still. We've restructured you know, internal parts of the business to show people that there's there's opportunities to grow into the next role, into the next role. It's not a level platform where people say, well, okay, if everyone's the same, how do I get to the next level? How do I become the manager? There are steps. We take people's careers seriously. We sponsor people doing their MBAs. We sponsor them doing um, you know, courses that will help them in their career. We've lost probably in the last three or four years, six or seven people to front office roles in global asset managers or private equity. Our view is if we're training people that well, we're doing the right thing. Because 
what we found out with three of the three or four of those people who've gone into the front office roles at the private equity or the global asset manager, they're now giving us business because they've seen us helping them step up their careers into the next phase of their life. And, you know, and we, we never stop doing that. We're always going to keep doing that. And, you know, I think for us, we're proud sponsors of the likes of the Academy of Real Assets. We're helping underprivileged schools um, in the UK to you know, look at you know, going help them with interview techniques, having some of them into, their, into our offices, talking about what we do, going to universities and talking to people about what does a Mount Street do? Is that a career for somebody? You know, it's something that's been hidden and not really pushed too much. I think for me, it's getting people to understand what we as a company do that give people an opportunity to be in something they've never thought they would do and didn't even think existed. Support, given what we, we some of the topics we've talked about here about always learning, it's an easy question for me to ask. What's next for you to learn? For me, it's there are parts of the business which are new trends and new products. And I do sit a lot with the teams and understand what they do. Because if I'm out talking to people, I need to be able to sell a product. And if I don't understand the terminology, then I shouldn't be going to that meeting. So for me, it's there's always something new to learn. I mean, we've, we've these last two years entered into the corporate space. So I'm learning a lot more about that. And it's actually refreshing and re-engineering my views from 25 years ago when I was at Hill Samuel, when I used to do this stuff, when I used to look after aircraft finance and look after the maintenance, pro maintenance programs of aircraft. For me, I'm always learning. I'm learning on, you know, where's, where does Mount Street going to be in three years' time? Are we selling X of the business? Are we selling the entire business? It's things that I've not done before. So I'm learning that kind of stuff, the fundamental corporate pieces of how we get to the next stage in Mount Street. All right. Then. And then last question before we wrap up, and this goes back to some of my research because I asked someone else around, you know, what were the traits when they thought of Paul, what were the, you know, what were the, the, the traits that they thought of Paul? And they came up with two here, dedicated and a single vision. And it's that single vision now I wanted to I wanted to put to you. What's your what's your vision for the future before we wrap up? My vision for the future is is quite simple. It's being the best that we can, hiring the best people, and and I know there's a lot of you know commentary around the market at the moment and generally about you know diversity. I think we've naturally got an amazing diverse business. We already have forty six percent. Um, female in the company and you know it's nothing to do with us ticking a box it's because we've hired the best people and I just want and I can see this business going it, it naturally will become bigger better because of the people within it and the people is what makes Mount Street it's not me it's not Ravi yes we started it but it's all about us allowing back to the point of the space the direction the trust in the senior team the management team and the juniors that are coming through the ranks. And for me, the future for Mount Street is exactly that. It is the people. And they are dedicated. They are committed. So the single vision for me is all of those culminated in and, and you know, compacted into one thing. And, and I think single vision has got to be best in class because best in class, and I don't you know, I say that quite a lot, but we are best in class at what we do. And that's because of the people. 
we are a people's business, it's a relationship business, and without the people, we wouldn't be where we are today. And I hope that's because of everyone's taken a, a step back and said, okay, well, that's Paul's mentality, that's Ravi's mentality, and that's how we need to be. Well, Paul, on that really positive sort of note, uh, I've got to wrap it up. But thank you so much for uh, uh, for sharing the story and giving up your time for this. I really, really appreciate it. My pleasure. And thanks for having me, Nick, and um, for giving my, my view of, of um, people's careers. Don't give up. <laughs>